in understanding our gospel today, we can't overlook the audience that Jesus was addressing. That he was addressing the chief priests and the elders of the people. In other words, he was addressing the religious leaders and the religiously observant of his day. And he calls at least three things to their attention. Three common sins of the pious, if you will. Lost connections, leaping to conclusions, and lip service. We can look at it in each of these in turn, remembering that although they're not exclusive to the religiously observant, that's who they're being, that's what sins are being considered in context. We can learn that they're especially problematic when it comes to our mandate to hand on the faith through evangelization. That Jesus starts out saying, a man had two sons. And it goes on to describe these two sons as very different, yet quite similar. The man, of course, is God. We are the sons. Although all of us are quite different, we all have the same father. We all also sin. A man who had two sons is another way of saying the sons had the same father. Yes, we all have a connection we cannot deny, whatever our differences. Why emphasize this? Because it's too easy for us to try to sever the link we have with one another, to affect a kind of divorce from people we fear or do not like. For example, on the way to Mass, you probably drove past neighbors, you drove past other people on the road. You drove on Algonquian Parkway, you might have encountered some crazy drivers that like to drive 70 miles per hour when the speed limit's only 45. Or maybe it's just me that encounters those kind of drivers. Okay? And when you encounter them, though, you think that they're crazy, that they're lunatics, and you want to say maybe some choice things to them. Maybe have some kind of gesture towards them. Or maybe you simply ignore them. Yet in doing this, we fail to recall that these are our brothers and sisters. So easily we can dismiss them, write them off, separate ourselves from them. But God may have a question for us. Where is your brother? Yes, there are many people whom we try to disown. Perhaps they're of a different social group than us, a different economic class. Perhaps we just don't like them for whatever reason. They have a different personality or something. We divide, but God unites. A man had two sons. Yes, they were different, but he was father to them both. He loved them both. He spoke to them and called them his sons. In terms of evangelization, remember that Jesus sent us to all nations. That's the apostolic mandate he gave us. Go out and proclaim the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And no longer were Israel and the Gentiles to be separated. One considered chosen people and the other not. That's why we call our church Catholic, universal, seeking to unite all. A man had two sons, but the two sons had one father. Then seeking to evangelize, has it ever occurred to us that the least likely member of our family 
could be the one God most wants us to reach. That we need to be careful of the lost connections. For souls can be lost. And the second sin of the pious is leaping to conclusions. That someone is irredeemably lost. Writing someone off. And many of the scribes and Pharisees, the religiously observant of their day, had done justice with a large segment of the population. Rather than going out working among them to preach the word, to teach the observance of the law, to teach them the covenant that had been established with them at the time of Moses on Mount Sinai, they go and simply label the crowd sinners, dismiss them as lost. That in fact they were shocked that Jesus welcomed sinners, ate with them. That in effect Jesus is saying to them, not so fast. Don't leap to conclusions. Don't write anyone off. Sick people need a doctor. And I have come to be their divine physician. To heal many of them from their sins. And so thus, Jesus in today's parable speaks of a sinner who repents. That the father goes to the first son, tells him to go out and work in the vineyard, and the son says, I will not. How many times have we said that to God? But we see what the son does. He reconsiders, changes his mind, and went. The point is that we just don't know about people. We should be very careful about writing people off, even those who appear to be locked in very serious and sinful pattern, who seem just hostile to God. We can go and think of examples of the saints. St. Paul, who was persecuting the Christians, but he got knocked off his horse, became a Christian himself. Or St. Augustine, who was a great sinner as a young man, had a child out of wedlock, had no desire in God. In fact, believed in more than one God. Until he heard that voice of the boy telling him to read the Bible. St. Augustine, reflecting back on his life, went and wrote in his confessions, For what man can judge rightly concerning another? Our whole daily life is filled with rash judgments. He of whom we had despaired is converted suddenly and becomes very good. He from whom we had expected a great deal fails and becomes very bad. And we don't know what's going to happen. We know what we are capable of in this moment. In a way. But what we will be tomorrow, we don't know. There's a man I knew once, he's deceased now, and he told me his life story. He was raised in the church, received his sacraments, went to Mass regularly, was a God-fearing man. And then in his early 40s, he descended into alcoholism, began to be unfaithful to his wife, stopped going to church, and was dismissive of God. Outright hostile to God. Had no interest in the Catholic Church anymore. If you or I were to have seen him at that point in his life, we might have easily concluded he was too far gone. There's nothing we could do to get him to come back to the faith. And when he was in his early 60s, something happened. It was like a switch got flipped in his life. 
He doesn't know exactly what it was. It was the answer to prayers is what we were able to conclude. But he pulled out of his rebellion, re-entered the vineyard of our Lord. He sought help for his drinking problem, reconciled with his wife and children, started going to daily mass, weekly confession, the daily rosary, stations of the cross. And when he returned, he really returned to the faith. And he said to me, he had done a lot of sinning. And so now it was time to do a lot of praying, to make up for lost time, as he put it. He died a penitent in the bosom of the church. That we never know. We can't write anyone off. Nothing stabs evangelization in the heart more than the presumption that someone is an unlikely candidate for conversion. Everyone is a likely candidate for conversion. We have to keep praying, keep working. And Jesus tells us the story of the son who told his father to buzz off, but later repented, went into the vineyard to pray, hope, and work. And we don't know. We can't give up. And we need not think also that anyone is a permanent member of the vineyard either. To pray, hope, and work even for those who seem well within the vineyard. Even for our own salvation. And we all can think, we all know people who are not practicing their faith anymore. Who have drifted away. That St. Paul spoke of how he had a sober kind of vigilance about his own salvation. I, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He was wary. He knew what was at stake. That he needed to persevere. That he needed to keep praying for his own salvation. And not just for others. And then our third sin. That of the other son. The man goes to the other son. Gives the same order. And he says yes sir. But did not go. Consider the second son. He's respectful of his father. When told to go into the vineyard. Tells his father that he will do so. They would not dream of cursing his father. Of addressing him in a strident way. You might say he was outwardly respectful, religiously observant, a decent sort of fellow. In the end, though, he doesn't get around to going into the vineyard. For whatever reason, his obedience to his father was only cursory. His lack of follow-through demonstrates a great danger to the religiously observant, giving God lip service. Yes, we praise God. We sing hymns. We shout our hallelujahs at Easter time. Say amen on our Sundays. But come Monday, will we obey? Will we go to the vineyard of obedience? Will we forgive those who have wronged us? Will we be chaste in compassion? Will we love our spouse and our children? Will we speak in truth? evangelize, and act as God's prophets. The greatest sadness of all is that our very religious observance, a good and commanded thing, that can often blind us, though, to our wider disobedience. 
that it's easy, it's too common for a religiously observant person to reduce faith to rituals. And once the rituals are observed, to check off the God box. And in effect, saying or thinking, okay, I've gone to Mass, I've paid my tithes, I've said my amens, now I'm done. That lip service Christians are terrible witnesses, a real blow to evangelization. Because they're easy to spot. Because it's just this mechanism they do. It's not that interior life there. How on earth can we ever hope to win souls for Christ? People can see we're just going through the motions. But living lives that are unreformed, untransformed. That our great witness must be a life that is being changed by Jesus. A life transformed by grace. A life that manifests charity, justice, mercy, generosity. A biblical understanding of sexuality. A life that shows that we have a renewed mind and a renewed heart. None of us do this perfectly. We're all sinners. We all fall at times. But we keep praying. Keep praying that God's transformative power, God's grace, is at work in us. That people can see that God's grace is at work in us. And there is little that is more destructive to evangelization than phony lip service Christians who give that outward appearance of obedience and religiosity, but with no substance behind it. That nothing is more helpful to evangelization than Christians who show that their lives are being transformed, are being made joyful, serene, and holy. All of this leads to the fact that God can use anything or anyone. He doesn't have to, but he does. Because he loves us. He's involved with us. None of us are those perfect disciples. But God still works through us, sinners that we are. And so in today's gospel, Jesus warns us of these three sins, of these three obstacles to being the disciples God has called us to be. The lost connections, the leaping to confusion, to conclusions, the lip service. That all of these things lessen our effectiveness as disciples, as prophets, as evangelists, sent out to make disciples of all the nations. We need to be wary of them. To pray God, pray to the Holy Spirit to help protect us from them. So that we can do that. That we can answer the call, the command we are given at the end of Mass. To go forth. To go forth to be that disciple of Christ. That witness of the faith to the world. To bring the Lord we have received in the Blessed Sacrament out to the rest of our world. To let the world see how we have been transformed by our God. That he dwells among us. He loves us. And wants us to be with him in heaven forever.